That's why the clapboards have a clap. Oh, so yeah. So you can sync audio and video when you're recording them separately. Oh, okay. Um, hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Very tired. Same. How are you? I'm also <laughs> tired. But um, I don't know. We're going to talk about something that I think we're both well-versed in. So cool. I don't think it'll be too taxing. I, I hope not. Um, so we'll do that. Uh, I don't know when, where to start. It could, cause it's really, this is conversation. I didn't want it to be super formal because I think maybe that also just takes away from the conversation. You know, if I had a set of questions or like I wrote down my, I didn't want to write down my answers. Sure. Um, well, so I definitely, I definitely double extra don't have anything written down. Okay. So we're on the same page. It's good. Um, I just kind of wanted to talk about neoliberal feminism, like where it's now and how we feel about it and the things we see happening that piss us off as far as like identity politics goes. Because um, I think it's good to rant, but I think it's also good to acknowledge where we are and the work that we're doing. Because you do very important work, I think. <laughs> I think. Well, thank you. It's good. It's great, sure. you know. And so, but, you know, acknowledging where our work is coming from and where we're coming from. So I guess I just kind of want to start with, like, if someone says the word feminism out loud, what's your reaction? Like, you're in a classroom or, like, sure. in a, let's say, party. I don't know if you go <laughs> to those. Uh, I don't. Probably not. But so typically um, what I think of first is... Um, If someone's referring to feminism in a class, then it's usually I, I usually assume, a, like a good faith interpretation of them bringing it up being like, generally referring to progressive values, based on uh, sex and gender roles. Mm. Um, but, I mean, you brought up neoliberalism to begin with. I think that a big problem with the way that we talk about you know, in, in classroom settings specifically, is because they'll often be referring to this very neoliberal sense of identity mm -hmm. um, and embodiment and relationship to um, the world without acknowledging it, right? Because, like, that's the sort of, to me, the, the invisible part of ideology is that it is our ability to make sense of social relations. So in the same way that we can't see our eyeballs, you can't, you know, talk about a lot of these identity politics without engaging in ideology and often mm -hmm. without proper critique of ideology and why it's so important to me in um, when we talk about, you know, politics or, or critical theory or anything to kind of use that as a starting place um, is to kind of like a priori acknowledge what we're talking about. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people will just use Feminism is shorthand for, like I said, generally progressive um, gender and sex politics mm -hmm. um, and not actually get to the core root of the problems being like um, this hyper individualization, individualization <laughs> under late capital, et cetera, and considering everyone is nuclear um, rather than in community. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's like much more of a um, material critique of what, you know, this sort of idealist progressivism mm -hmm. is headed towards. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, it's completely undercut by like the atomization that we're, we're subject to um, yeah. in late capital ideology. So that's why I get frustrated when we have talked about how it's frustrating when people um, 
sort of don't know where to go after bringing up feminism or talking about feminism because Mm -hmm. it it feels like, oh, well, we acknowledge the elephant in the room and that defeats the elephant. Right. You know, but, you know, unfortunately it doesn't. I wish that it did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's it's also it's sort of like a it's become a weird like border or like marker of like you're a good person or you're not. Right. Like. I think the Internet is especially a part of this conversation because most conversations happen on the internet now and it's sort of like the internet has decided like oh you're either if you're a feminist you're a good person and if you're not you're a bad person and there's like no further explanation and we're just like okay carrying on now and it totally sort of ignores how they're using the label what it means and the sort of personal responsibility of it um and i don't i don't want to come off as a hater right now (laughs) but it's also like you know young girl I see it to me the concern is young girls because now they're all like gung-ho about feminism which is wonderful but it's like they're just like yeah anyways Taylor Swift and I'm like okay this and this is like happening in the context of several sort of alarm bells that happens because like really if we're talking about neoliberal feminism we're talking about Taylor. Like she's the icon. Taylor Swift is sure. the icon of neoliberal feminism, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and that's not to come off as like a person that like I hate Taylor Swift or anything, but she's truly an encapsulation of, of how people, you know, have become so sternly individuals who, you know, set their own values and are like, yeah, of course I'm a feminist, and that has to do with me and my values and what I'm doing. But it's also like part of this larger landscape that everyone can choose to ignore you know um i'm a good person therefore i can do bad things and i'm just one person so like it's fine you know no one's going to look at me in this way um well i think that that uh, taylor swift in particular being the example um brings up i think something important which is uh can we have a billionaire feminist yeah right like i you know I get frustrated with any sort of, you know, reductionism uh, with, you know, along the lines of like, you know, class reductionism or, or race reductionism or, or gender or, or et cetera, et cetera. But so I'm not trying to say that the only factor that we should care about um, is like wealth disparity. But mm-hmm. I think that it's difficult to say that we can have someone whose um, political motivations are to disrupt the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. Whether, whether that status quo is, is relative to. Um, you know, sex and gender or queerness or whatever, or uh, capitalism in the sense that those identities and that um, ideological social environment are inextricable from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can't really, like girl boss feminism um, just reifies and reestablishes the idea that there should be a class hierarchy. Mm-hmm like literally based on the economy, like just really boiling it down to a dollar amount. It's it's the idea at some point that it was liberatory or it could be liberatory for um, non-male uh, people to just make as much money mm-hmm. as the highest earners of the male body yeah. population. Um, and I, I hope that, you know, we're, uh, we're coming around to the idea that that doesn't fundamentally change anything. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that, Taylor Swift could be feminist. Well, that's kind of like not a feminism that I think is is particularly useful, right? Um, but again, 
that being the person that I am, I certainly don't consider myself to be any sort of arbiter here. But it, <laughs> I do think it is like kind of dangerous to listen to what the uh, the billionaire that that takes a, a jet to commute um, has to say about right. you know progressivism or, or change. Um, when you know, from what I understand, uh, she was you know born into wealth to uh, in addition. So like it's yeah. not even a uh, bootstraps narrative, right? Right. Like so, you know, which is of course also I mean propaganda, et cetera. But um, I guess what I'm getting is I think that she's a, a I think it's a, a great example of a bad example, <laughs> so, but, yeah. but one that, that people talk about a lot. I mean, I, yeah. my students um, write about her often. So she is. I I think maybe I always think of her as the major alarm bell when it comes to neoliberal feminism because she is so well-liked. You know, like, you can't escape her. I make her sound as if she's, like, some, like, specter or something, you know, like, haunting us all. But it's true. You just can't get away from her. I mean, I have younger cousins who are, like, obsessed with her, and they spend all of their money on her, like, weird cardigans. I don't know. You know, like, she merchandises every... Yeah, she has (laughs) cardigans. They're very fancy. And they're very expensive. Um, So it's just... It's, like, a dangerous sort of pattern. And, of course... but, but, But people get uncomfortable, right, as soon as you voice any critique of a woman and which is also sure. i think a, a, a really important part of neoliberal feminisms how it's become like if you critique any woman it's like a misogyny thing rather than expanding out and saying like why is the critique happening where is it coming from and sure. so it's always really funny to me when it happens in a setting like a party or a classroom you know when we talk about feminism and especially if you're talking to, like, little fresh-faced students who are there to, like, learn things and you don't want to push them away, but you're also like, okay, I mean, I don't want to discourage you from liking what you like because we're all living in, like, a capitalist hellhole. Like, whatever makes you happy, (laughs) you know? Good for you. But it's also, like, you know, we should be able to critique the things that we like and the things that we love. And and we can admit to having, they call them guilty pleasures. I don't know if that's necessarily the right sure. term for yeah. it. Well, and, you know, I um, I think that, uh, you know, there, there's been <laughs> in the last, you know, couple of years or whatever, there's been a lot of conversation on the idiom or, you know, uh, misapplication of literary theory for uh, death of the author, et cetera. Right, yeah, but yeah. It, there is something to be said that, like, an artist maybe makes um, catchy music um, that we can enjoy uh, in a social setting, and maybe we don't ascribe to their politics. Now, <laughs> there's a question of, like, well, if you listen to their music, they're uh, profiting off of it, and if you're playing it publicly, then other people will enjoy it, and then maybe they'll profit off of that um, mm-hmm. status. Well, you know, I think... That gets really complicated in arguments under, like, the ethicality of consumption and whatnot because, you know, that's another idiom that's misused all the time of no ethical consumption under capitalism. But I I guess what I'm saying is, like, the admission that all these systems are, like, um, cascading and that they all feed back into each other, Mm -hmm. right, is, like, an important place to start from um, because if we're just saying, like, well, like, just saying, like, oh, Taylor Swift is bad doesn't really go anywhere, right? Right. I mean, even if you get into, like, why you think Taylor Swift is bad, like, if you're not, if that conversation's not going outside of, um, 
I don't like her music or whatever. Like that, the, the superficiality of it goes both ways, I guess is what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. saying that you like her because she is a successful woman or saying that you don't like her because she is, you know, like both of those um, are not particularly theoretically useful or otherwise. And, mm-hmm. and not, not to mention that like the reason that people like her uncritically is like, you know, the sort of like art appreciation, like pure affect kind of thing. So like that's not even, that's not even theoretical, right? Like right. that's just like emotive responses. So, um, you know, and like, uh, I mean, guilty pleasures, but that I think that just comes with like a tension between um, like being critical of one's interests and mm-hmm. like knowing how the sausage is made, you know, <laughs> and like, and, and no, I mean, you know, I, I joke about when, uh, conversations on, you know, there are no ethical billionaires, for example. Sure. I mean, Taylor Swift was a billionaire. Right. And she became a billionaire by, like, value extracting and exploiting uh, labor, like all billionaires did. Sure. Um, even if, you know, some of the wealth was inherited or whatever, that wealth also came from exploitation by, by nature. Um, I, you know, point out often that, like, I'm one of the laborers that was value extracted for her billions because like I've worked on Taylor Swift shows right, when I was yeah. a stagehand and you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's a perspective that working backstage for these things. Um, you know, one of the other anecdotes I tell all the time is that like Johnny Depp was just like in my way and inconveniencing, me. <laughs> you know, like it was just annoying that he was signing autographs in front of a door that I really needed to get into, right. but I can't tell, Johnny Depp to get the F out of my way. Right. right. So put that on a t-shirt. Right. Like, yeah. Johnny Depp was only an inconvenience to me. Yes. <laughs> like, he personally made my life more difficult right. momentarily. Um, but then also in this like broader system of exploitation. Right. So like it's right. kind of, yeah. it's, it's both at the same time, you know? Um, and I think that, that under like in a uh, late capital neoliberal framework, it's difficult to negotiate these like at once, natures of things um, because neoliberalism is so atomizing and is based on this, the idea that everything is, is an object and that there are like the relations between objects aren't as important as the objects. Right. Right. And so that we inscribe this identity like onto a single object and then thus we consider people as objects, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think neoliberalism really boils down to like all this identity politics stuff boils down to um, this idea that we're primarily talking about uh, information as objects Mm-hmm. And not information as relations, right? Right. Um, because then that makes it, if we're working in that framework, then it makes a lot more sense why you can just condemn like, oh, well, all this thing is bad and that's all that we need to talk about, right? Um, whereas like, you know, if we got rid of all the billionaires, that would help with a lot of social problems, but there would still be baked in right exploitation to the system, mm-hmm. um, which is like, you know, I mean, my ideal solutions to to that problem are you know, more radical than just no billionaires. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But it's certainly a good place to start. Right. So like, it's also the, the binary rejection is also as useless as like the binary affirmation. Right. So, right. Um, so I think that's like my ultimate frustration with, you know, neoliberalism, like in theory is that it, um, it keeps like, I think there can only be simple solutions under neoliberalism mm-hmm. and simple solutions like just fundamentally aren't solutions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, yeah. they embody the aesthetic of solutions or they embody the aesthetic of critique uh, without actually being, yeah. you know, critique or, or, or praxis or any of those. Yeah, it's big very, it's very circular in the way it right. sort of functions, right? There's a problem and you have to, 
there's a, you can circle back to an answer, but then you're going to end up right at the same spot, really. Yeah. You know, there's no sort of up or down or different sort of directions you can go, um, which is really, I think, gosh, I that was such a smart answer um, <laughs> that I don't, I, I honestly am like thinking about it, but. Well, so uh, there's a, uh, well, now I'm not going to remember the theorist off the top of my head, but the, in, in, you know, rhetoric, um, there's this theory of the ideograph, which is a word that has like ideological signification like built into it. And it's, it's like pure, it's primary purpose as a word is to convey like ideological information before other kinds of information. Mm -hmm. Right. So an idea of like, you know, patriotism or, or freedom, right? Like the the Mm -hmm. word freedom, like doesn't necessarily have like immediate tangible meaning to Americans as much as it does like invoke this feeling of patriotism. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think of, you know, idioms like ideographic idioms that, um, people say all the time that are sort of reifying of like these like ideological conditions that are sort of like thought terminating, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they stop us from considering a conversation further. Right? Are you arguing that feminism is one of these? Well, I think that, I think that it can be what, what I, the example I was going to bring up is like, it is what it is. Ah, okay. So like when somebody says it is what it is, they're saying, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Right. Right. But it's also, when I'm the reason I'm calling that like an ideograph is that I think that it signals um, this it, it it calls to this sort of like higher structural feeling of like oh well there's nothing we can do about it yeah <laughs> you know like this this which which I think is is implicit to this like obsession with like the individual and the hyper individualization like mm-hmm. of neoliberalism is like well there's nothing that like you as an individual nothing that I as an individual can do to affect the broader situation. Right. So, oh, well, talking about it is all we yeah. can do and we're done talking about it. And that's yeah. all we could have done. It's out of your right? hands. Exactly. And so, but, and so like repeating those sorts of phrases, um, like, uh, another one that, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about recently is, um, um, I'm just saying, you know, it's, <laughs> like, it's like an excuse to like probably say yeah. something like racist or sexist. It's like, right. well, I'm just saying, or like, uh, I, I call it like I see it or, um, you know. The, Speaking the, facts. Yeah, the truth telling yeah. uh, of the internet. It, that all calls back to this like obsession with like objectivity and like treating uh, information and knowledge like um, as an object, it, which is like you know where a lot of the like reactionary pseudo intellectuals like come back to and like they that's why their reaction to any kind of like postmodern critique is like um, that the truth is the truth with a capital T and there's like no negotiation and right. all of this negotiation we're doing is like moot because the truth is the truth. Right. Yeah. And that's why it all, I think a lot of it boils back down to religious motivations, even because that, you know, tends to be how God, God's word is depicted. Right. <laughs> even if that's like not, I don't mean that as a condemnation of, of religion. Sure. Right? Yeah. Cause there are a lot of like, you know, uh, there's a lot of negotiation in a lot of religions, right. right? Just not in like American evangelism. Right. Right. So, yeah. Um, like not uh, particularly like from Jordan Peterson's brand of the the chaos dragon or yeah. whatever 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 union misinterpretation he's up to yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> um, but anyway so yeah like that I think that um, I think that there is this feeling like when it comes to and I'm certainly guilty of this is like I spent a lot of time um, talking about theory and not talking about uh, solutions I think there's a tendency like when we're talking in class about like oh, well, or, uh, you know, feminism or like talking about like, oh, well, intersectionality, you know, like any of these things where like we feel like 
oh, I just have to remind everyone around me that I know this buzzword. Yeah. Whether that's like a conscious decision or not is like um, harmful to like actually like uh, progressing a cause or like coming to any sort of conclusion. So I think that yeah. often I see um, people bringing up uh, – I, I, I shouldn't really say often. Like, I can't really, like, think of a ton of examples off the top of my head. But I've certainly, like, been, like, over my entire, you know, academic experience, have been in rooms where people um, just sort of, like, claim, oh, well, feminism and wash their hands of any, like, further, like, material discussion. Sure. And, and often ends up being, like, erasing, um, you know, non-white experiences and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I don't know. It's so complicated in the, the the ways that we discuss things. And you really think, as an academic, you think, oh, my God, I'm doing this in good faith, right? Like, I'm I'm having these conversations. And um, I think a lot of people don't like academics because we so focus on theory. But it's, it's really, you know, to get in the weeds of, of having conversations, right? Because a lot of people so easily say, okay, I'm using this word and then I can move on. You know, everyone's nodded their head. Right. I know what intersectionality is. Therefore, I'm off the hook. It's, and it's, I can... Yeah, it's sort of like an academic, like, amen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, and that's why I think that it's, like, important to understand that, like, to recognize where these, like, you know, thought-terminating cliches or, or idioms or what, however mm-hmm. you want to turn... Like, I just, you know, I I try to recognize where I have an instinct to say, like, what are you going to do? That's capitalism, you know, yeah. and like, no, but like, actually, like, what do we do? Well, like, <laughs> often it's like, well, we build community relations and, and yeah. support systems and direct action that don't rely on the, like, the corporate. And I think that's so. why, I mean, neoliberalism really tries to forward this idea of like you being an individual and how important that is. I mean, f- certainly, like, being American is all about being an individual and like, like you can you can do this and you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, as you mentioned, um, and you can do things for yourself. And isn't it great that we let you be an individual? Yeah, you know? and I, I think that's that's kind of the like again, you know, I uh, I hate to bring it back to just like terms, but yeah, I think that's like a big line in the sand between like individuality and individualism, mm-hmm. right? Like it, one being like, oh well. I'm, you know, going to have this freedom of expression and like, sure. be, you know, uh, self-actualizing and, and, and stuff like that uh, based on how I self-perceive and how I, I, you know, I want to be perceived by others, et cetera. And then there's, um, you know, building a belief structure based on that <laughs> where yeah. you, now we have um, our entire society organized around um, the need for people to not be in community essentially like because the only way that people can value themselves under like you know neoliberal um identity politics is to treat those identities as objects and then guard Mm -hmm. those objects from other people right Right. because everything is about ownership and everything is about um control and power in that way it's even ultimately violence right like it's even ownership over like ideas which is really a trip when you are an academic right when you're doing the work Um, because I mean, even me, who is so aware of like praxis, you know, of like feminist praxis and, and, you know, just being trying to actively think about how I put theory into practice and how that goes into everyday life outside of academic spaces. You just feel sometimes you just can't help it, you know, like someone wins a scholarship over you. And you're like, son of 
a bitch. You're like, <laughs> you, you know, it just, you're like, yeah. oh my God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Like sure. I, this person beat me. It's not like, it's never like, oh, good for like, well, you know, I shouldn't be saying that in front of you. Um, cause you won one and I was genuinely <laughs> well, happy for you. Um, I, I was, I was okay, genuinely well, happy for you. you. Yeah. I love that for you. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, I love that for you. <laughs> I want everyone to win. For you. I loved that for you, okay? But, you know, in the other times where you just, like, feel like, oh, I'm not the smartest in the room. Like, I'm not really the winner here. It's always about winners and it's always about losers in that black and white way that neoliberalism wants to push so badly that there's always a winner and there's always a loser. And no one ever wants to be the loser. Right. And... You can't be that way in, in real community, right? It's all about like sometimes you just don't get the thing and that's okay because someone else in your community is getting the thing and you should genuinely feel happy like I did. I swear to God, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I did. I'll but, you know, you and, you know, but like the years before that I didn't, I was just like, is there something implicitly wrong with me, you know, sure. in ways that I have to beat other people now. I have to be better than well, other people. And I think a lot of this comes from, um, you know, this idea of like, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of things together, but like when there are like scholarship competitions or whatever, um, awards to be given out, like mm -hmm. that, that's like a very like literalization of it being zero sum. Yeah. Like the institution <laughs> has decided that there is a pot of money yeah. that is finite. Yeah. And that's all the money that there is. So even if we gave everybody a little bit of it, yeah. there's that, you know what I mean? And so yeah. it's kind of, um, it's, it's built to mirror external system, like external to the institution systems, right. you know, where yeah. only one person gets the job or whatever. Yeah. But like in an actual like community oriented perspective, like that wouldn't be the model that sure. we used to disseminate everyone funds or has whatever. their you know. place in community everyone yeah. has their place but in the hierarchy you have to fight tooth and nail for a place right you know yeah. like because they're like oh no they you know there's only there's a ledge you can't get too close to it you have to be like firmly on it sure before or or like someone will push you off you know you just have to ensure yeah. your place and, and, it, and i mean i think that that like is important to be uh, cognizant of like that these systems do encourage us to be, you know, violently mistrustful of one another right. when it comes to it. Because like every every scrap of food that our neighbor has is one that our family doesn't or yeah. whatever, you know. And that's and I mean like that's all by design. Right. right. Like the, yeah. the the Margaret Thatcher idea that we you know there's no such thing as a society, there's just a collection of individuals. You know, like being like the 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 birth phrase of neoliberalism. Like that, you know, that's it's kind of the turtles all the way down, you know. Like it's mm -hmm. it's right, that's right. that is sort of like the underpinning, and I mean that's you know why she gets referenced and quoted so much. But that I mean that truly is, like I think about that pretty much every day because, um, <laughs> unfortunately, <'cause laughs> but you know I mean it's it becomes very difficult to consider a like a a populist alternative if you know the last forty years or whatever have been mm -hmm. fifty years have been dedicated to convincing everyone in this, you know, country community or whatever else that uh, everybody else is out to get them. Yeah. You know? But it, it's interesting because, like, you know, you see in uh, times of crisis, um, 
you know, in this country. And uh, it's just specifically because that's, you know, what the, that's the, that's what we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when there's a natural disaster or um, anything where people need to come together faster than authority can save them, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty much universally true that people do come together. You know, yeah. like they're the people that are like, um, I remember reading about, uh, you know, when a hurricane hit and people were like accusing people of like, oh, see, like immediately it's lawless and people are looting and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. well, they were breaking into Walmarts to get food out of there because the Walmart was about to be underwater. Right. And they were going to need that food. Yeah. For people to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's this, uh, but there's a lot more, it's a lot more profitable for um, news stories to share, share like just in the attention economy and everything else. And I'm sure mm-hmm. we don't have, you know, time to talk about the attention economy specifically, but <laughs> you know, just uh, it sells a lot more attention to say, you know, look at these horrible monsters than sure. it does. You know, heartwarming stories don't sell as well as. Yeah, as we love a monster. Books. Yeah, we sure. really do. I think as it, long as it's not us. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we love to point fingers, and I think it's collective. It, it, it it's a problem collectively, right? Yeah. You know, and it reminds me. This is tea, but it reminds me. I was in a in a class once, and we were sort of watching this film, and it was you know made by trans black women, and and. Um, you know, they depicted reality in this way people don't like looking at. It makes people uncomfortable, you sure. know, and no shade, but it makes white people uncomfortable, you know, because it's just so, it's it's so different in, in the ways that, you know, we like to hide people and we like to look away and it's not, you know, it's, it, we, when we talk about people who live on margins of society, we get so uncomfortable, you know, like it's in the deep, like even, you know, people of color who, have clawed their way out of shitty situations, you know, like it still makes you, it makes me uncomfortable, even in this way that I can admit that I'm just like, oh my God, like, you know, I thought part of me thought I'd escaped that having to see it. And when you're confronted with it, it's very jarring, right? But if you've never seen it or if you've never gone through it, um, it makes you double uncomfortable, right? So we were watching this movie and I won't, I won't say any names or anything. Um, but she made a point to say, like, oh, yeah, like, why, why are bad things happening to this particular trans black woman? She's the good one. She doesn't do drugs. She doesn't mm-hmm. steal. Like, sure. she's out of the cast of, like, trans black women. Like, she is the good one. And right away, I, like, made eye contact with another person of color (laughs) and he clocked her and he's like no 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 no. what we're not gonna do is like impose this weird sense of morality like that's that's not what we're gonna do here um and i think people love doing that right when like disasters happen they're like oh they're looting or even when riots happen right like that's like their favorite thing to talk about that's like what the media's favorite thing to talk about is like they're bad people because they're like looting a target you know and there's like that jokey thing of being like I can excuse racism but right. looting a target right. is right. the yeah. line right you can like excuse racism <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like okay yeah. well you know you know and and that's like the favorite conversation I have for like Fox News pundits about like BLM you know like right. they're yeah. they're causing mass chaos and violence and it's violence against objects but of course 
we've come to really value objects, right? So yeah. it becomes, they, they make it seem as, it, as if it's like an immediate harm rather than saying like, why are they doing this? And why do we care so much about a fucking target? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that like, I mean, like I said, I, I think it comes back to this, this um, obsession with everything being like both like, you know, zero sum and everything being objects, then it's sort of like, it sort of denies like responsibility of the systems, right? right. Like, is it could just be like, oh, well, a target's just a target and sure. not like a target is a place w- that has bountiful resources right. and the people who manage the target will use the, um, the state's monopoly on violence to harm someone who is starving. Yeah. If they try to enjoy some of that bounty, you know, right. what I mean? like if you'd, phrasing it that way, like makes it pretty obvious that like, oh, well, um, an unhoused person, you know, sitting outside or, you know, homeless person, depending on how they want to be described, uh, sitting, uh, sitting outside of a target, um, it's, it's their fault, right. right? Like we try to, the, the only agency that neoliberalism accounts for is of the individual, because again, it's this individualism, right? Mm-hmm. And so any, any effects, I was trying to, uh, kind of cogitate this recently, but like any like effects under neoliberalism are isolated from the actors, right? Mm-hmm. But actions are not isolated from the actors, if that makes sense. So it's like mm-hmm. the effects of actions in under neoliberalism don't often like come back to the actors. Sure. But the effects happening to a person like came from nowhere, right? Like there's this right. like there's this infinite gap between cause and effect under neoliberalism. Yeah. Right? Because it's like, let's say, for example, the, you know, the, I can speak from experience about addiction. So <laughs> I'll use addiction as an example. Um, but like when I, you know, was, was struggling with um, substance abuse, it's very, very often you hear, oh, well, it's so-and-so's fault because, um, you know, they're a drug addict, right? Sure. And so like that becomes like, you know, part of this like object identity inscription, mm-hmm. like under the person that like, I am an addict, right? Thus right. I do addict stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, thus my life is, is ruined and miserable because, mm-hmm. because I am addicted to things, not because, um, corporations for a long time <laughs> have created these, you know, wonderful little combustible cylinders <laughs> that make me feel good yeah. temporarily yeah. and very bad later. Right. And then that, that you know, snowballs into other things. And, sure. You know, nobody talks about like, everybody's mad at you for being an alcoholic, but nobody wants to talk about like how delicious alcohol is and how great it makes you feel. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. they, these, these th- object, these actual objects, right? Like yeah. they have a ton of like ideology, like kind of written onto and into them. Um, Jack Daniels isn't responsible for the alcohol. Sure. Right? The alcoholic is responsible for being an alcoholic. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense because like we, we know medically like the alcoholic like probably, you know, has some uh, predispositions or, I mean, it's, you know, to quote Mitch Hedberg, uh, rest in peace, my hero. Um, but alcoholism is a disease, but it's the only disease you can get yelled at for having. Right. You know? And so it, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's very, it's true that we understand like, oh, you know, addicts, like myself, <laughs> like are, you know, we think of them as, or they think of us as sick, right? But sure. then 
you know, it's still our fault that. How dare you? Right, because it, because it seems to be this reflection of willpower, and willpower seems to be like very simple under. Yeah, uh, under yeah. Well, it's it's right? and it's a, it's all about like, oh, you're in charge of your own destiny. Right. You know, but like. If if we admit that addicts aren't completely in control of their behavior, we then have to admit that behavior is not entirely under control. Right. And if that's true, then honestly, the whole house of cards comes down. Right? Sure. Because like, if you're not perfectly in control of one's behavior. Now, of course, like the counter argument to being in control of one's behavior goes completely out the window when like a white man does a sex crime, right? Like then, yeah. then, all, then all of a sudden, you there's know, very, there's very tight loopholes that exactly. happen in, in, I think particularly with um, willpower. And it, this is a weird segue, but I think it has to do with, I mean, my focus has always been on how, women, girls, and femmes have had to exist in spaces because I think it's incredibly difficult to exist in a space that where you're presenting in any sort of femme way, you know? And I, I think there's always this conversation about presentation and about how we have to exist in these little tight loopholes, right? Because there's always loopholes when it comes to gender. There's always loopholes when it comes to, like, you can have willpower and we'll hold you accountable for that willpower until, and then there's, like, an X marks the spot. They're like, well, if you're a white boy who committed rape, like, you were, you know, like, it happens. Right. We all do that sometimes, right, fellas? (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, well, I I guess I think that not to be, like, you know, minimizing of, like, the, you know, horrible violent traditions of that. I think, but I think it comes back to kind of what I'm trying to vocalize or write about or whatever, this idea that like an individual's actions are like recursive back to themselves. Mm -hmm. But when the effect is more on another person than the individual, the ideological relations like no longer can support that conversation, right? So like obviously way worse things happen to the victim of a crime than the perpetrator of a crime. And that's why Mm -hmm. we phrase it that way. Sure. Um, But I think it's really hard to prove that a victim is a victim in this country for a lot of reasons. But I think ideologically it's difficult to come to that because um, then we have to kind of close that ideological gap between like suddenly the individuals aren't individuals anymore. Sure. Suddenly we have like a a unit or like a a circuit, right? Or like... Uh a small like community or how, I mean, however you want to phrase that, like we have a group now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it no longer makes sense to analyze the elements independently from one another. Cause we're talking right. about how they related to each other. But yeah. if we can say like, Oh, she shouldn't have been there at night or she shouldn't have gotten drunk around the frat boys sure. or whatever, then, then it becomes easier to say like, Oh, well there it is. There's an individual and we have identified the responsibility yeah. that they neglected. Right. right? And the, because that's like the biggest like ideological sin under sure. liberalism is that um, failure of responsibility, right? Yeah, yeah and yeah. so in a, in a lot of ways, it's considered like that's a more grievous sin than the the you know frat boy not uh, having self control. Exactly, because like that will like well you know well, what do you expect? Boys will be boys, right? right? So it's like suddenly we have we like we come back to this like um, naturalist kind of like. Again, I mean, it's, that's like the identity is object thing. Like mm-hmm. it becomes fixed, right? Right. Where like he was always going to behave that way. You should have known better. Right. And like 
but it's never the other way around. Like it's never sure. like, well, why did he go to the party if he knows that he can't control himself? You right. Know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's it, but but that's again, it becomes like, I think it's because that's easier to say like, oh, well, both parties are responsible for themselves, and yeah. and we have this like, we have this objective nature to individuals. Mm-hmm. So this person has this identity and this person has this identity and they're always going to act that way. Right. And so, you know, any. Realistically you know, in this way, they, they, they picture it. Right. They picture it as like always happening. Right. There's, there's even if you place blame in the way that like you could say, Oh, well, you know, um, maybe she shouldn't have been dressed that way, right? Even if we're talking about this, it's like, oh, we can assume then that she always dresses this way, and sure. it would have always happened. And right? like, and it, it, it's totally neglecting the possibility that like it's fun to dress that way, or sure. she likes how she looks, or or she was literally she was dressed fun like with her friends, probably fucking Barney on a who, Halloween. Who cares? You right. know what I mean? Like, it's that's that's completely you know a nonsense excuse for violent people, right? Yeah, <laughs> but like. Um, but I think, I guess what I'm saying is like, I think it works because it plays back to these assumptions that are shared, like ideologically, culturally, right? Like in the system that it, I mean, it makes very obvious rhetorical appeals to like the structure. Yeah. Whereas the other one forces us to question the structure. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's, that's, uh. I think it's part of like how the system like maintains itself mm-hmm. is that it, it, it constantly calls back to um, like the restabilization of it, of itself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Under, under like enforcing these ideas that we're all nuclear and atomized and, and singular. Right. Right. Yeah. And you, you always have to, you know, the call's coming from inside the house. Sure. Yeah. Most of the time I yeah. think in, in it, right. Because it's internalized in this way that, if you're living in it, it's hard to call it out, right? I think, and I think, you know, weirdly enough, living in a border town and in the borderlands adds sort of this extra layer to it for me, at least for me, right? Because I can I can see how these sort of cultural and social ideas clash with the border and how I grew up and how I you know, feel about my own sense of, like, gender and my own sense of, I don't know, like, individualism, I guess. Like, it because it's, it's I, I can see it more clearly when I'm on this side of the border than when I'm on the other side of the border, if that makes sense. I don't know. Sense. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I mean, I, you know, I'm from near here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, I, I think... Um, I mean, my experience with that was, you know, being being very young and being made fun of um, for being white uh, as like a I'm sorry. literal minority. Did you say white? white? With an H. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, and like, I think that, you know, there's uh, there are often two ways that the reaction to that can go, which is, um, you know, anger or sadness. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. glad that I. Uh, you know, I was raised in the environment that I was raised in to acknowledge that there are bigger things at play than some kids bullying me. You sure. Know? So I didn't, you know, it made me like sad about racism and not lash out in yeah. a racist way. You know what I mean? And well, and, and of course, like no one escapes 
that ideology. So I'm, I'm sure that I've done plenty of racist things in my life. But um, as far as like that, not kind intentionally, of, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like that. That's that's that is certainly the line that I try to uh, try to maintain. Sure. As best I can as as a. Uh, um, a gringo on the border. Calling a spade a spade. Well, a like, and, and I think transnationalism is a concept that also makes, you know, people are very uncomfortable with having the sense of like, oh, no, these, these ideas have to expand beyond borders. And because I think living in America is certainly feels like this is the way that you know is the only way to know. And if you exist anywhere outside of these bounds, like, oh, that's. Like, you know, you get called a commie or a socialism. You know, sure. you know, they throw out those words. But it's it's very funny to be living in the borderlands where things are just set up differently and gender expectations are also set up differently. And weirdly enough, my own sense of, like, what I identify as feminism or, or what I, you know, how I express myself as an individual is always tied back to some sense of, like, my family and my the community that I feel comfortable in, you know, because um, I always say that my mom is a feminist. She doesn't call herself that. She does. I I don't think she feels very uncomfortable with those sort of like academic-y words. <laughs> um, sure. She's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, okay, girl, go off. You know, your degrees <laughs> are on my living room wall. I'm proud of you. That's it. Hell yeah. But she's she raised me in this very deliberate way where like I was just the same as my brothers, you know, like I, they did the things that I did and I did the things that they did. And it wasn't like, you know, we all had a sense of responsibility for ourselves in this way that wasn't gendered. I, if that makes sense, like I would go out and she wouldn't pester me and I could go out just as long as they did. And I could go out with whoever I wanted. And it wasn't ever like, oh my gosh, you're wearing that. It was just like, I'll see you later you know and um take care of yourself i guess you know <laughs> vayas con dios and sure. you know you're hey, on your way i'll be the first to admit i don't know anything about parenting so yeah I, well I, I, I that sounds great to me I oh know. yeah it was pretty good <laughs> it was pretty good i went out i did my thing i came back home you know and it was good but it's also i don't know t to me i think i get this sense of like it, you know, feminism always seems to come from this place of rebellion for a lot of girls. And that and this is not, or for just like a lot of people in general, right? I don't want to just generalize to, to saying girls, but it, it seems to come from this place of rebellion. And that's coming from someone who like has younger cousins and has has worked with younger people, you know, in general, where it's like, my parents want me to, you know... I don't know. I do bad imitations of children. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's always it always seems to come from this place of like anger and rebellion, right? And certainly there is anger in me about certain things that I've experienced and that do come from this sense of community and do come from this sense of you know how I feel about myself in regards to the ways I was raised. But for me it's also like, oh no, like I'm person I am and I want to see things very clearly because my mother f like f I don't forced is a strong word but you know she she made me th see things in ways that like 
I guess we're different. And even now, when I talk to people who are Mexican, who are Chicanos, um, they think my mom is weird because they're just like, what? Like, what do you mean that your brothers have to wash dishes? What do you mean that like, you know, like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, is this is this weird? I had no idea. And it's, and it's weird to them that I have such a sense of community that I like having people around me, that I like sharing things with other people actively. I mean, my master's essay defense was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many people in that damn time. room. Yeah, there were. Um, and apparently that's such an odd thing. I'd, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I talked to professors about it, and they're like, there was people there? <laughs> yeah, we had and I'm like, yeah, it was great. I had, you know, there was Dunkin' Donuts there. It was great. This is not sponsored. but <laughs> um, Not sponsored by Conchas. No, it, there was plenty there, too. Um, but I, people get so weirded out that I love having people around me, like, all of the time. Really, not all of the time. But, you know, I, I like having a sense that I can rely on other people. And that I want to share my accomplishments with other people, which I think weirds people out a lot. Um, but I, it also comes down to like the fact that once you're an academic, you're supposed to do things alone. You're supposed to write alone. You're supposed to do yeah. things alone. You're supposed to do exams alone. You're supposed to do everything alone. You know? Well, yeah, and I, th- I, I mean, that goes back to everything we've been talking about. But I do think it's funny that like, it's you can write an article with other people but like i mean you can you write a book with other people but like the monograph is like this whole sacred thing that yeah you know, <laughs> i just think it's funny that like ooh, you wrote a whole book yeah, oh my god <laughs> like i don't know I, you yeah exactly yeah and so i don't know i think my my sense of it has always been sort of as an outsider because i've always had a sense of like loving community and my sense of individuality has always been like I, as a person, am different, but like I'm different and I'm still part of a whole system, right? Because I grew yeah, up like course. the black sheep of my family, but I never felt like they, like I never hated them. Like I never felt like, oh, my feminism is a sense of rebellion. I just felt like, oh, there's like a word for it, you know? Sure. And I and it I understand it. And there's a word that helps me express certain things and feelings and ideas that I have, but it was never a sense of like, you know, oh, there's finally, you know, like, fuck you, mom. I never had <laughs> sure. that, right? I never yeah. had that. And certainly if you don't have a good mom, you can say that. But uh, it's it's so divorced from, from the way, neoliberalism is, is so divorced from the ways that I've existed as a person who, and of course I can't say that entirely, right? right. But yeah. it's just like, my sense of who I am is so connected to my community. And even now, like I consider you a part of the community that I am in, right? Because it's also like, (laughs) you know, when things happen to me that are good, I want to share them with you, right? Because you're you're part of it. And like, it's such a neoliberalism and trying to be a girl boss is so about like, I'm better than you, Yeah, I mean, I I think there's like, obviously like a different motivation to like celebrate accomplishments because you want to be joyous with the people that helped you get there yeah. versus like wanting to celebrate accomplishments to be like, 
suck it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I won and you lost. You know? Yeah. Like that's, yeah I'm better than things. all of you. Yeah, exactly. But, um, and realistic, I should get better at handling compliments really, because I remember during my master's essay, um, my advisor was like, this paper is great. And I was like, really? <laughs> Are you, f- no way, no yeah. way. Um, but it's also, I think there's also like just my, my, like I've been saying, like my concern has always been how, you know, gender non-conforming people and, and women and queer people, all of us who feel, you know, we, we always have this sense of like hypervigilance. Oh, for sure. In in the ways that we can say things or do things or dress or be, really. Um, they get so reduced in this ways that, like, you know, yeah, you know, the, and I'm talking about maybe just, like, stereotypical language um, that people use, you know, like, if you have blue hair. <laughs> and pronouns. Yeah. Blue hair and pronouns. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and they get so, so yeah, I think it, it, it really does, like you were talking about, like, you know, we use these sort of like idioms, but it's also like about words, like it simmers down to these phrases as like, oh, like you have pronouns and blue hair and you're, you have 65 genders and you're, uh, identify as a tech helicopter. I fucking hate that one. Well, it's, yeah, you know, it's but it's, have. well, I, th- I think that, you know, uh, we're, we're coming up on an hour and you said roughly yes. an hour. And I've, I've been watching the clock. Okay. <laughs> so, but I mean, just in... Keeping track. Okay. Maybe a button uh, to end on is one of my favorite, you know, vines or memes or whatever, TikToks. <laughs> I'm old. Whatever... One of the things... One of the th- videos on the internet. I just remember at some sort of Pride Festival, um, somebody put a camera on somebody's face, held up mm. a microphone and said like, you know, an older, older dude. And it was like... Sir, how many genders are there? And the guy looked at him and just said, like, I don't know, man, I just got here. <laughs> and I think that's, like, a pretty good attitude. Yeah, <laughs> like I think in so. Like, queer praxis. To just right. Like, I don't know, man, I just got here. Like, it's just that idea of, like, I'm sure you're asking me because there is an amount. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like this is a, a trick question, so I'm just going to say I don't know yet. You know? Yeah. And I think that's, like... That's probably where the open mind should be. <laughs> That's solid. I yeah. think I think maintaining, I think if anything, right, coming away from this conversation, which has been a little depressing, oh, but, I, but I mean, you know, it hey, always, you know? I think it always goes that way. But it's also <laughs> it's just, just saying like, you know, also just it's it's incredibly queer to be just like, hey, man, the possibilities are endless, yeah, you totally. know, and yeah. however we're going to choose to evolve in order to survive in healthy ways is like sick because um, there's a million ways to be. And that's cool. That's cool as fuck. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Many, many millions, many millions, lots lots of many millions. Yes. (laughs) And uh, you can identify as whatever you like, you know, and um, that's valid. And uh, if Chad doesn't like it, you don't have to talk to Chad. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that's like one of the biggest things they uh, they don't teach you is uh, you d- just don't you just don't have to talk to those people. If yeah, you, want to. you could just not do that. You know, yeah. just say hi, Chad. You have nice abs, and I'm gonna walk away from this conversation. <laughs> but God, you know, God bless your soul. Right. Goodbye. Talking to Chad, more like 
chad gpt oh no 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 ai is a whole nother beast let's not call it there let's not do it there but yes good well thanks for listening and tune in next time that there is an assignment to talk about (laughs) (laughs) good